Welcome into the Email Online Podcast. Mason both Alec Bussey here with you from Rivals and Email Online. You can uh, follow along with everything we do over there. Just go to kansasstate.rivals.com. If you're not signed up, go ahead and do that. Less than 10 bucks a month where you can get great stories and access and coverage of the Cats, uh, including great stuff from our man Gabe this morning. He talked to uh, the, the guy from Shot Quality as well as uh, Austin Carpenter from K-State and just kind of discussed uh, some of the ways that, that K-State stands out analytically with the shots that they're taking and then how K-State uses some of the data and information they have uh, in, in kind of crafting their offense. A couple of the things that stick out is how similar K-State and Baylor are offensively with some of the things that they do and some of the shots that they're getting. Also, some of the areas that K-State is efficient in getting their offense from um, was pretty fascinating. They, they're number one in the country in terms of cutting, which um, makes a lot of sense based off of what Jerome Tang has said he wants to do and especially what he wants out of his big. So that, that all seems to add up and uh, tons of great information in there. So if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, it would be a, a wise decision to go and do so and see uh, what you can figure out about the Wildcats. Also, full preview of K-State Texas Tech this weekend. Uh, that you can get that Alec put together a great little uh, primer before anybody heads to the game or watches it. And you want a little bit of insight about the Red Raiders because they're not very good this year, or at least not as good as they've been in past years. So people may not be uh, as tuned in and locked into what's going on with Texas Tech. They are 10-8, and 0-6 in Big 12 play right now. And they come to Manhattan desperate for a win. Uh, I about referred to them as desperate and hungry earlier today in a thing I was writing, but I don't know how hungry they are at this point because I, I just I'm not convinced that they love playing for Mark Adams anymore. So as much as this team has not won a game yet and they have the talent to do so in this league, um, I, they're desperate to, to get a win because nobody wants to be embarrassed and be winless. But I'm not convinced that they're just doing everything that they can to get over the hump. So. As long as K-State comes out, plays focused, and plays good enough basketball, they don't have much to worry about tomorrow. The problem is making sure that you're focused up and ready to not have a letdown against Texas Tech. Yeah, I have, I'll be completely honest. I haven't had a ton of opportunity to watch Texas Tech. It can be really tough to watch other teams in the Big 12 considering the Big 12's kind of schedule that they play games on with most teams playing every Tuesday and every Saturday. It becomes really difficult to see other teams in the league when they're not playing on uh, big Monday or what? What does the ESPN call Wednesday? Well, that's uh, well, you've got uh, Big Monday, Super Tuesday, and Wednesday night hoops. Those are uh, those are the ones that you get. And they need a name for Wednesday night. Yeah, that, well, that's the name Wednesday night hoops, and then Wednesday night hoops, and then it's the Thursday showcase. Uh, is uh, is the the ones that they always go with. the The issue is right now the Big Twelve is not as like spaced out as they they normally are. Because with the way the NFL season works, like they are extending deeper and deeper into taking up Mondays. So like with the fact that there's now a wild card game on a Monday, like that knocked ESPN out of the equation. So there was no big Monday last week. So that will start to be less of an issue. You hate the way the Big 12 schedules. I like it. I like when you play your midweek games early and then everybody's on Saturday. You don't have to be, you know, one of those uh, just like, poor conferences like the Pac-12 that has to try to find anywhere they can squeeze a, a game in. Like, we'll, we'll play on like a Friday night at 1130 Eastern and we'll are then you play games that, on Sunday. Are you complaining that there's high quality college basketball on Friday night? What else are you uh, Not very Friday high night? quality. I, I don't know. I'm just saying like 
Uh, people are doing Arizona things on Friday State nights. UCLA last night, and you enjoyed it. I know you enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a high-level, very entertaining basketball game. I wouldn't say I hate the Big 12's schedule. I like how it's a pattern. I like how I think it allows teams to kind of get into a rhythm and kind of a pattern of preparation and understanding of when they're going to play and when they're not going to play. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't like it from the standpoint that it becomes really hard for me to watch other Big 12 teams play on a consistent basis. So selfishly, there's areas about it that I don't like. But yeah, Texas mm-hmm. Tech's obviously a team that struggled, like you said, just 10-8 and 8 on the season. They're 0-6 in the Big 12. Um, you know, they've obviously struggled um, in Big 12 play, but a lot of their losses have been close to obviously coming off of a seven-point loss against Baylor, uh, lost by just two at Texas, but they gave up a big lead against Texas, I believe, in that game. Uh, they did get blown out by Iowa State on the road by like 34, 35 points, whatever it was. They lost an overtime to Oklahoma. So this is a team that, um, you know, has been losing a lot of close games, three-point loss to Kansas, uh, another four, five-point, six loss to TCU. So they've been losing close games. It's not like they're getting blown out like they did in the – Iowa State game uh so I do expect Saturday's game against K-State to be close and you know that's just how most Big 12 games are going to go Mason that's kind of how the conference goes every team in the league is pretty evenly matched for the most part even Texas Tech a team like I said that's 10 and 8 no and 6 in the Big 12 they're 54th um according to Bart Torvik and efficiency ratings overall so every game in the Big 12 is not an easy one and it becomes really important to obviously protect home court which is something that K-State's done better than just about anyone this entire season because they haven't lost at Bramlage yet. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the truth, and, and they got to try and find a way to, to keep it going. Um, I mean, them and Kansas are the only two teams that haven't lost at home yet in the Big 12, I think. Because uh, Well, and where, where was Iowa State's loss at? Um, they lost so, at Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, there uh, Iowa State's in that group too. So the th- three teams that are tied for first in the conference are the teams that haven't lost at home because Texas obviously lost at home to K State. Same for Baylor. TCU lost at home to Iowa State. Um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, all those teams have lost games. Tech, obviously, West Virginia lost to Baylor at home. So it, you're right. Like you got to protect it, especially against inferior opponents. Where it's one thing, like when Kansas comes to to your your venue. If you get a win, like that's awesome. Like what K State was able to do on Tuesday night, that's awesome. That gives you a leg up on a lot of other people because they're not going to be able to do that like other ones. Um, but when Kansas goes to Fort Worth later in the year, that's not a game that if you're TCU, well, the team is is different. But as a TCU observer, you're not putting down. All right, that's a home game. We got to win this game. We should win this game. It's a little different there. But when it's a team like Texas Tech, like. You have to you have to come through and do it, especially depending on what kind of caliber of team you're going to be. And um, that's one of those things that for most people, by the time that you listen to this, uh, it'll be be out this afternoon. I, I wrote about this today because uh, I think it's important. I, I think Saturday is a huge telling point for what K-State is going to be this year. And I know that people probably think, well, they're playing an 0-6 team in conference. Like, what does that have to do with anything? But the way I look at what's coming their way Saturday, and I preach this a lot during football season because K-State over the four years that Chris Kleiman has been in Manhattan has had some really big wins. But when you get a big win, I immediately don't care what you did to get that big win. Now I care that you back it up and you beat the team you're supposed to beat the next week. So for Chris Kleiman in 2019, that was after beating Oklahoma at home, a team that played in the college football playoff that year, you have to go on the road and kick the crap out of Kansas. And they did that. They backed it up. They did just that. 
Same type of thing plays out in 2020. You go on the road, you beat Oklahoma. Now you're back. Like, show up and beat Texas Tech. Take care of business. They were able to do that. Same type of thing that they did this year, similar circumstances, where they beat Oklahoma and they come back and they beat Texas Tech. And not only did they beat Tech, but all the things that we saw take place in Norman, they still translated over. The offense kept looking better and better. They kept playing with more confidence. For K-State now, they have to come through and off of that big win against Kansas as they sit here now 5-1 and one in the conference. They're tied for first with KU and Iowa State. Saturday, if you come out and just take care of a bad basketball team or a team that has at least played bad basketball the last six games, then you set yourself up to where you stay in the conversation of it's not just like, oh, K-State's this fun little story. It's You can contend for a conference title this year. I still think Kansas wins the Big 12, but you're in a position right now where you can kind of make that conversation a little bit tougher for people You already have a win that most teams aren't going to get, and that's beating KU. So try to do something with that now. Follow through and make it happen. And so the two comparisons that I used in what I wrote today is in 2008, K-State starts conference play with this beautiful record. They've got two dynamic players in Michael Beasley and Bill Walker that are leading the way, and they take down Kansas in the midweek at home. It feels like this program-changing victory and things are looking really, really good in Manhattan. Now, that team, they had a tougher non-con schedule, so they had a few more losses on there, like they lost to a top 25 Oregon. They lost in the Jimmy V to Notre Dame uh, with Luke Heron, Goaty. But they, they played a tougher schedule. But they went on the road after beating Kansas, being undefeated through the first five or six games in Big 12 play, and they lost to Missouri. That Missouri team finished... I think they finished below 500 in Big 12 play that year. So that was a team that K-State, with all their talent and everything that Cheers they had that, done. By the way. What? Cheers to that, by the way. Cheers to to what? Mizzou finishing under 500. Yeah, that I, I was looking through it. That was not a great year for the Big 12. Like Cheers. The Big 12 has come a long ways since that. Uh, the Big 12 in 2008. It, the Big 12 didn't get many teams into the tournament that year because – uh, it wasn't a great year. Yeah, Missouri went 6-10. and 10. So K-State starts off the 07-08 year. They get that win against KU, but then they go on the road and they lose by a shot to Missouri. So you weren't able to back up what you were able to do against KU, and it didn't mean much because K-State ended up after starting 5-0 and 0 in, in Big 12 play in 2008. They finished 5-6. and six. And of their four losses, uh, four of those losses ended up being to teams that finished 500 or worse in conference play. And that team had the talent, and we look back on that, and that was a fun year of K-State basketball. That was, that was the year of K-State basketball that really kind of solidified that it was back, and, and K-State basketball was going to be this consistent thing again, something that had not happened the, the decade prior. But they weren't able to turn it into anything more than just a team with a lot of fun players, great players, and they could have some really high highs, but the lows were pretty much down there, and you maybe wasted a chance, like – if, if you don't lose all those games to teams that were 500 or worse, you're in the conference championship conversation with Kansas and Texas who tied for it that year at 13-3. and K-State ultimately goes 10-6. and six. So for K-State, beating Texas Tech is about determining you're not going to be the 08 team. What you're going to end up doing is want to be the 2019 team in that version of K-State. So 2019 K-State, they lose the first two conference games of the season at home. 
And those are, you know, or I guess the first one was at home. Then they were on the road at Texas Tech. Dean Wade is hurt, but then they start to get hot. They're on this streak. They're winning games, and they're able to win nine straight games in conference play. The sixth or seventh win of that stretch was a big-time home game against Kansas, and K-State was able to take care of business. And what they followed it up with in the aftermath of beating KU that season was they went 7-2 and two over their final nine Big 12 games after their nine-game winning streak. And they were able to, you know, go, go through and have a, a great season. They knocked Kansas off the throne, and they were the Big 12 champs that season. And this team, I mean, maybe as a whole is not better or have the pieces right now, or we, we think they may not, to, to be what 2019 was and win the Big 12. But this team is in a position where that's what the goal should start to be. Like the narrative should start to shift to since K-State is 5-1, 33% of the way through the Big 12 season, tied with KU and Iowa State, like the goal needs to shift to, okay, you're in it, like fighting for a Big 12 title this year, and just go out and prove on Saturday if you're K-State that you're not the 2008 team that had some really awesome moments and two great players but that ultimately finished as an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. They beat USC and then lost to Wisconsin, those white bastards. Um, but go on and, like, figure something out and, and play hard, play smart. Like, that's the one thing that I think K-State's going to have to, to kind of showcase this weekend is, like, that you can go out there and have it's – a, it's a mentality thing that it takes to beat a team like Texas Tech this weekend. K-State's more talented – K-State has the better coaching staff. K-State has a lot of things that match them up better than Texas Tech right now. The one thing that they have to have to win on Saturday, though, is that they have to be a team that has a better mindset going into that game than what other teams might and and avoid losing that. Because if K-State gets through that, then it says to me that they're in a pretty good spot and this team, the, the goals become much more serious for what they can achieve this year. Yeah, I just think beating Texas Tech is the type of win that you have to have. Um to compete for a conference title simply because it's a team that you're better than. And it's a team that you just have to beat when you're at home um, to kind of go back to what I was saying a little bit earlier, when you're a home team um, and a tightly contested conference, like the big 12 is like the big 10 is this season. Um, you know, even like the sec after Alabama and Tennessee really at the top uh, big East at the top as well. And the ACC is obviously a mess too. Like you need to be able to protect your home court and beat teams that you're better than at home because it's so hard to win on the road. And good teams find ways to win on the road, and that's something that we've seen K-State be able to do so far in Big 12 play. Obviously, they have that 2-1 and one record on the road this year in the Big 12 um, with wins over uh, Texas and Baylor, but they did lose at TCU. Um, and they've got a tough stretch of road games coming up. Obviously, they have to go to Iowa State, uh, and then they have to go to Kansas. So there's some games on K-State's schedule, particularly road games, that you maybe don't feel the greatest about coming up for K-State. and being able to kind of stack wins at this point in the season is really important because if K-State does want to continue to contend for a conference title with the likes of Kansas, with the likes of Iowa State, like you have to beat teams like this at home. And if you don't, like that's the type of game to that um, to maybe turn this into a bigger picture item. If you lose to a team like Texas Tech, a team who probably isn't going to end up being in the NCAA tournament, maybe that's the type of loss that drops you down a seed line come the NCAA tournament. And that's definitely not something that you want to have on your resume um, and I know that Texas Tech, like I said earlier, is ranked highly um, by a lot of different metrics websites. Like I said, Bart Torvik has them uh, 54th. I think Ken Palm has them in that top 60. And I would imagine that the net 
has them in a similar similar fashion right now, considering where they have West Virginia, another team that's really struggled in the Big 12. Um, so just keeping awareness, I guess, of what a loss could do for you is really important. And I will say, too, like I think it's going to get tough for K-State from the standpoint of human nature is a real thing. And this is something that I've become more cognizant of, I think, in the last year while covering college football and covering college basketball is that players and coaches can say at a podium um, or publicly all the time, like, this was great, enjoy it for 24 hours, move on to the next thing. But human nature becomes a real thing, and it becomes really hard for success to be replicated. And this is something that, like, Nick Saban has talked about a lot. It's like the most difficult thing about having success isn't getting to success it's maintaining success and now this is a k-state team that's obviously having a lot of success like you said they're 16 and 2 they're 5 and 1 in the big 12 and yeah well they were picked to finish last place in the big 12 prior to the season and that's a chip that you can continue to maintain on your shoulder it becomes hard to maintain the same level of engagement sometimes um, when you go from beating a team like kansas in an emotional fashion and i know jerome tang and i know marquis noel all kind of said in that post game was like you know this game doesn't count for two wins or four wins or five wins and it doesn't give us a big 12 title it doesn't give us a win in the NCAA tournament all those things are true but at the same time too like that's a huge emotional high to be on playing and beating case kansas um on your home floor having the floor rush and then to have to kind of come back maybe in a little bit of a sleepy saturday situation with an early game at one o'clock against a last place team in the big 12 um who you maybe think you can just kind of show up and roll like that's just not the type of team that Texas Tech is like they're not getting rolled by very many opponents this season. Um, so, yeah, there's an opportunity for this game to kind of maybe not go K-State's way if they're not fully engaged or Texas Tech gets off to a hot start because of scouting report errors or things of the like for K-State. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how it ends up working out for them. I mean, Tech obviously has the talent still. They have good players, but it's just a, it's a matter of how they've played lately. And, and that's why, like, any any game a team outside of K State plays in the conference, like outsiders are probably thinking, oh, they better watch out. Like Tech Tech might do something tonight. But then when it comes into facing the team that you're focused on, you start to think, okay, that that's not going to happen. Like they're they're going to be able to take care of them. They're a bad team, and like that's that's something you got to consider. Is if you think that Tech would be able to make something happen against any other team in this league, um, you need to be prepared for the possibility that it could happen against K State and. And again, like any of these guys could pop off, and that's why I think it's going to be uh, important that K State's able to to just go out there and, and lock in. And I think um, a couple of things that are working in their favor is that hopefully what you take from the game against Kansas is that uh, you you learned like I mean Kansas makes you work harder for buckets than than anybody else in this league will, and you have to to find a other ways to be creative to to win a game and to be in it so maybe that helps k-state to where it makes things feel a little bit easier and they see things against teams lesser than kansas that they can do and also like marquise noel uh he probably needs to have a good game here soon because like this is back it's back-to-back games where um scoring w- was a struggle for him when when it was tight uh he got some garbage time points against tcu and so watching him step up, and I think that's something that you feel good about is that he hasn't done something in the last two games, so he'll he'll be able to maybe step in and carry you. But uh, this is a game that K-State needs to, to give all of its focus to. Like, there's not a single day off in the Big 12, and, and that's important. I mean, I, I brought it up before, but, like, 
Fran Fraschilla said, and, I, and again, I don't even remember where it was that I watched him say this, um, but he was talking about like when you get your schedule, you, you're looking like, okay, this is a five-game stretch where we can breathe. Like, But he said in the Big 12, nobody has that. And it's true. Like, you don't even get a game where you can think to yourself, okay, this is a little bit of a break. I mean, it's nice that K-State isn't having to turn around and play in Ames to, like, this weekend. But still, like, you, you got to treat every game uh, that like it's the, the most important one on the schedule. And we'll see if K-State's able to do that uh, and, and put, you know, some of that human nature that you talked about uh, to the side and, and not focus on it as much. So, it, it, it's a big game for him this weekend. It, it's kind of a, a, a decision day type deal for him. If they come through and they win, it, it gives me the indication that this is more than just a team that can get some really good wins and, and have some really fun moments, but that's all they're going to be is just kind of a fun team. It, it, this can be a great team, and, and the way great teams prove themselves is not as much when you're playing against other great teams, but more so when you're playing against teams that you should take care of. So we'll, we'll see how K-State does this weekend against Tech. We, we both have K-State to win. Uh, you took the Cats 75-70. to 70. I'm taking them 72-65 to 65, uh, is the way that, that I think it ultimately ends up playing out. You, you, you read up enough on Tech, though, and, and looked into it. Uh, what are some of the things that people should know about Texas Tech uh, that, like you said, haven't been able to see them as much this year, similar to us? Yeah, there's certainly some areas that they're successful. I think this is a Texas Tech program who's become really – proud of the way that they've played defense over the last few years in big 12 play um, similar to Baylor, right? Where Baylor's kind of become known as a team that'll put you in hell for playing poor offense and their guards are really good. Texas tech does a little bit differently, of course, um, with a lot of really talented wings um, and a lot of really talented one-on-one -on -one defenders. This Texas tech team is a little bit different. I would say defensively um, their defensive efficiency numbers are in the forties by most people, which is obviously down from where they've been in the past. Previously they've been, you know, up there in the top 20s, top 15, wherever it may have been. Um, you know, that's something that they really struggle with. But on the offensive end, too, uh, they really struggle with turning the ball over. They're around 300th in the country in turnover percentage. So that's something that K-State should probably look to try and take a big advantage of is getting fast break points, getting buckets at the other end. Kind of similar. Similarly, I guess you could say. I always struggle to turn similar into an adverb. Um, but I kind of similar to like the TCU game, if you kind of think about it, where TCU is a team that, turns teams over a ton and TCU is a team that gets a lot of fast break points and gets a lot of buckets at the rim because of that. Uh, I think K-State should probably have a similar kind of fashion. Don't gamble um, and try and make turnovers happen that aren't there. Just take what they give you and take it the other way and see if you can get a layup or get fouled at the rim. Those are easy ways to get buckets against a Texas Tech team that, like I said, you know, isn't great defensively. And that's one of the reasons why you've seen their defense, um, kind of fall off this year is that teams are getting so many easy buckets because of turnovers. And I think that's something that a lot of people maybe overlook or look past a little bit when examining how good of teams defense is a lot of times a team's defense is really connected to um, how successful their offense is. And what's, what's the saying? Like good defense starts with good offense or whatever it is in basketball. Like it really does hold true, um, especially at the college level. Yeah. It, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, tech, it, it's just a weird thing to figure out. And, and this is why, you, you get a little nervous playing teams that haven't picked up a win yet in conference play because these teams are still good enough to where they are due. Like you expect something to come out of it. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that was why I thought West Virginia would beat TCU this week. Like it's just that simple TCU going on the road to Morgantown against a team that had not won a conference game yet, but had been in, in every game and had played teams close. Like 
It just felt like they were due. And ultimately, West Virginia ended up getting the win against TCU. So uh, it, it'll be kind of fascinating to watch and uh, should be fun to see how it plays out. And uh, I mean, hopefully a, a good crowd. I mean, you talked about coming off of a game like that against Kansas Saturday afternoon. It also was kind of a killer that like that's the game time that the Chiefs are playing at. So I'm sure you'll have a ton of people either in Kansas City or they're like, well, I'll just stay home and I'll watch both games uh, as opposed to going out. So we'll see what kind of crowd Bramlage provides uh, in the, the follow up to what was a pretty impressive performance uh, against Kansas uh, crowd wise on Tuesday. Uh, other games in the Big 12 this weekend, just so we, we cover our bases there uh, before we, we dive into uh, some football topics real quick, uh, since there's still some, some stuff going on there. Uh, so K-State and Tech are at one. The first game of the day is TCU at KU at noon. Uh, that game is on CBS. It's a tough situation to be a Horned Frog, uh, to have to go to Lawrence after KU just lost to K-State. So... Uh, whatever the, the line ends up being there, give me Kansas by that and then some. Uh, and then a, another 1 o'clock tip-off on Saturday, Iowa State at Oklahoma State. Uh, that's Again, that's one of those games that like a good team take care, a great team takes care of Oklahoma State and somebody that wants to win the conference does that. But you got to be careful when you go to Stillwater this year because they can jump up and get you. And Musa Cisse is back. Uh, he, he came in as a sub in their – uh, rivalry game with Oklahoma earlier this week. O-State came from behind and ended up kind of cruising at the end to win that game. So that's a big one to watch. Baylor is at Oklahoma at 3 o'clock, and then Texas at West Virginia is the nightcap at 5. Uh, any of those games stick out to you, or do you have any expectations for the weekend? Yeah, to me, I think the biggest one that sticks out is probably Baylor at Oklahoma. This is a Baylor team that I know that I wasn't able to be out on. I know a lot of people kind of were like, eh. They're own three in the Big 12. They haven't really looked great this year. They got pounded up at Marquette. Um, struggled a little bit with Wazoo um, in a neutral side game. I never was out on Baylor because I believed in their guard play a lot. And I know that LJ Cryer's kind of been dealing with a little bit of an injury again this year. And I don't know if Flagler has. And maybe some would argue that Keontae George has maybe been a little bit of a disappointment. And they obviously have some limitations on the inside without everyday John playing. Um, because of that knee injury he suffered in the NCAA tournament. But this is a Baylor team that I still believe in. I still believe in Scott Drew. I still believe in LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, and Keontae George. For my money, that is the best trio of guards that you can have in the entire country. Um, and I, I like this Baylor team, but it's a tough spot going into Oklahoma, a team that obviously is kind of similar to like – kind of similar, I guess you could say, uh, to uh, – excuse me – kind of similar to Texas Tech where they might be a little bit desperate for a win. Oklahoma State kind of was in that same spot against the Sooners earlier this week, and they were able to get it. Mm -hmm. That's a tough spot for Baylor to kind of have to go on the road, um, especially after having to go to Texas Tech earlier in the week. So it's a tough week for Baylor, but that's one that um, is interesting. And then Texas at West Virginia is another one that's interesting to me too, just because um, we saw Texas struggle earlier in the week against Iowa State, um, lost that one pretty handily, but it's a good opportunity for Texas to bounce back, or maybe this is the regression that we were kind of seeing um, or maybe expecting to see a little bit a week ago or so uh, when things kind of started to show that their defense is really struggling without Chris Beard um, and just kind of some regression without Coach Beard on the sidelines. And I think a lot of people kind of thought that that could comfort Texas, but then they've also had some really high emotional moments like coming back from 18 down to TCU. Yeah. Uh, so just kind of monitoring where Texas is at and the success they have and don't have because right now I think it's a little easy to – include them in a group of three, four teams atop the big 12. 
but it's also maybe the team that you circle that's maybe the most likely to fall off out of that group as well. Uh, I think Oklahoma Baylor is interesting from the standpoint that OU is now two and four in Big 12 play, but outside of their loss to Oklahoma State this week, uh, every game before that had been decided by four points or less in conference play. They lost by one at home to Texas. They lost by three at home to Iowa State. They won by, uh, or I guess five points or less. They won by five in overtime against Tech. And then they lost by four to KU. They beat West Virginia by a point. So they have been in, in a lot of games that they played in. So they are very similar to Tech. The difference is they've at least gotten over the hump and won two of them. Um, and, and so they get a Baylor team that is on the rise. They've won three straight conference games. And Baylor, Baylor needs to get things in shape in a hurry because they need this win this weekend because after that, it's going to kind of be a toss-up moving forward. Their next three games after the Oklahoma game on, on Saturday, home against Kansas on Monday, and then Saturday they're at home against Arkansas. Now, Arkansas is dropping off real fast, but you still don't know what you're going to get out of them, and that's still, you know, Eric Musselman's a good coach and everything. That'll be a big matchup. And then they're at Texas the Monday after. So a lot of short turnarounds and three straight top 25 opponents are on the schedule for the Bears. So getting a win against Oklahoma and making sure that you, you don't compound that into a, a handful more uh, is going to be an important thing to, to kind of look forward to. So Baylor, Oklahoma is interesting to me. And I mean, KU TCU is going to be fun just to see uh, if TCU can, can handle what's coming to them, because I really think that that's going to be a very tough environment for the Horned Frogs to try and do anything in. And that you'd feel really bad if you're TCU that you just came off that big win against K-State you made K-State look kind of silly, and you played well, and then you have a week where you lose both of your games to West Virginia and Kansas. Yeah, that would be really tough for TCU. Um, I feel like by Kansas to protect home court and protect Allen Fieldhouse because they always do that. Welcome to the fog. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's a tough spot for TCU. And, you know, I read a really interesting stat this week about TCU and how they're shooting under 30% from three, um, and I don't think a team has made it to the NCAA tournament shooting under 30% from three is an at-large since like 2013 or something like that. And I think a team would have made it in 2020, but obviously that tournament was canceled. So maybe TCU is a team that you can kind of circle uh, come bracket time that, hey, this isn't a team that you should bet on to go far in the NCAA tournament because, you know, they don't shoot the ball very well. Yeah, they get a lot of easy shots at the rim, and a lot of that becomes of their turnovers and their fast break points. But when you're forced to play a half-court game, a lot of times that's how games in the NCAA tournament go for whatever reason. Um, you know, TCU struggles a little bit and I don't see Kansas and Dewan Harris turning it over a ton, um, at the, on their home court. And I just see Kansas getting right in that game. Yep. Well, we'll, we'll see how it ends up going. Uh, real quick, shifting over to football. Uh, it's been busy the last couple of days, uh, with, with a flurry of offers that are starting to go out to 2024 and 2025 kids. Um, and I know that, that you got to talk to, to one of the running backs that they, uh, reached out to a three-star out of Georgia and you had an update on him over on the site. They also got their second commit of the class of 2024 and their quarterback for the class, Blake Barnett, out of Colorado. So good work by uh, Colin Klein there to already lock down his quarterback for 2024. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think that there's some things to, to kind of project out there and like, but it's, it's a little bit of a, a drop-off from what the last couple of quarterback classes have been, you know, where you – you get some guys in there that you feel really good about and 
and Barnett may show up and, uh, you know, make some noise when he gets here, just like kind of Adrian Laura did sandwiched in between Jake Rubley and Avery Johnson, two four-star quarterbacks. But that's kind of the, the, the update there. But the transfer portal window, at least this first one, closed in the middle of this week. So it won't open again until the spring. K-State ultimately in this first window ends up losing uh, nine guys to the portal, and they end up adding a total of four guys. I don't know how you see this. Maybe you see it differently than me because you know, you, you, you've got a little bit of a different view coming from the outside. All nine of the guys at K-State lost, I, I don't consider them true losses. And I think that the four guys that they added um, are, are going to be pretty beneficial adds to what they have going on, um, including three of them that come at like massive positions of need. And those three guys, I think, have some serious upside for what they can do for K-State. Number one being Keegan Johnson, the wide receiver from Iowa. Number two being Treshawn Ward, the running back from Florida State. And then number three being Javon Banks, the defensive lineman from Mississippi State. Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't think that any of the losses were overly surprising. I know a lot of people kind of had some high expectations for someone like Crew Jackson. Um, he ends up committing to Arizona State. Just kind of didn't work out for K-State. Um, don't know too much of that story. Um, TJ Smith's another one that I think people maybe had some decent hopes for get out of the 2020 class, but it was tough to evaluate kids in the 2020 and the 2021 class just because of COVID. Um, more so in the 2021 class, and that's someone that you know includes Crew Jackson. That's someone that includes... Um, I guess that's just like it's it was just tough to evaluate those kids because they didn't have um, a ton of film because of high school football across the country not being normal. Uh, But, yeah, I agree with you. I think they did a good job in the portal getting guys like Javon Banks, uh, particularly at a position of need um, for Mississippi State edge rusher. um, That should help them kind of replace Felix and DK Uzama, especially with someone like um, Khalid Duke coming back. Um, I also thought that K-State did a good job. I did that transfer running back from Florida state. He comes in um, with a pretty good track record. Um, doesn't have necessarily one individual incredible season. I guess you could say um, church on word hasn't, but he's continually posted quality numbers throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously a position that Casey I think has a really good sell at is running back considering the success that Deuce Vaughn had. But at the same time too, their cells a little unique because Deuce is such a unique killback. at someone who's just five foot five, five foot six, um, so you're kind of selling a unique thing. It's like, hey, we had a lot of success with Deuce. Um, we think we could have similar success with you, but you might have a little bit more raw talent or raw ability because of your size and your gifts in that fashion that Deuce didn't have. So I'm interested to see how K-State's rushing attack may change a little bit with someone like Trayshawn Ward um, coming in with about 628 um, rushing yards to his name last season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you you look at what they've got going on now, I mean – the, the running back room, they got that thing replenished in, in a hurry, and you feel good about maybe how it's going to work next year to where obviously DJ Giddens is going to be there ready to step in. And when he when he got the ball this season, like there wasn't a ton of drop-off from Deuce. Maybe the, you know, the, big tw- the big play potential wasn't there as much, but he was a solid guy and, and was giving you everything he had. And then you bring in Trayshawn Ward, who, I mean, there's a ton of excitement for and there should be. And then Joe Jackson, who's who's going to be an incoming freshman, uh, I imagine probably sees the field as a true freshman and gives K-State good options back there. So um, I think that they did a, a kind of a good job in all these regards and categories. And then it'll just kind of be interesting to see where things go once the spring ends because the one thing we know is that K-State probably loses more guys in the spring. Like that's just kind of how this thing works. And then it's also going to come down to 
what other guys are out there from other programs that are maybe surprises that ended up in the portal and that K-State might take an interest in. But uh, I thought it was worth mentioning that that there were uh, a handful of guys that that had gone in, and, and I just don't know that there are significant losses. I mean, we we were reached out to um, from from Cole Patterson, who, who does national stuff for us at Rivals, and he was, you know, give me the key additions, give me the key losses, and kind of sum it up. And um, the, the additions were easy. The losses, I was like, I mean, I, I don't want to feel like I'm copping out here, but I don't think K-State lost anybody of significance. Like, you get why offensive linemen would leave. So they end up losing two offensive linemen uh, to the transfer portal this year, and Whit Mitchum and Kingsley Uwu. Those guys left because the entire starting offensive line from last season came back plus a guy that was a day one starter that got injured in the first game of the year. And then you have underclassmen that are waiting in the wings that are maybe just as talented, if not more talented than some of the starters from this past season. So K-State has like seven or eight legit dudes that are going to get serious reps on the offensive line. So I get why an offensive lineman would leave. None of those guys seem to, to have an impact. And you talked about two of the defensive guys and crew Jackson and TJ Smith, like, it was just tough. Like those guys saw more snaps at the beginning of the year and we expected to see more of them, but that dropped off kind of like a rock. TJ Smith was still out there a little bit, but even when guys were starting to get hurt at that position or having to miss some time, he he still wasn't getting a, a, a significant number of reps. So they all moved on. I don't know. We didn't see crew Jackson at all the second half of the season. Um, so I, I get why they moved on. And I don't think K-State's too beat up about anybody that they lost. And, uh, and things are things are going to move in the right direction still. And then we've seen some of the offers that have gone out to guys lately. Now, the thing that K-State's going to have to make sure of, like we see these offers going to dudes that, that have four stars next to their name or whatever. Um, Bruce Weber talked about this after they won the Big 12 title, and it was kind of funny. After they went to the Elite Eight and then the Big 12 in back-to-back years, they got into the living rooms of more like high-talented kids, the four stars and the five stars, but they weren't able to land them, and so then you had to waste time and resources on those kids. K-State's going to have to make sure that if if they're going to play in this ballpark, they have to kind of make sure they they close at a, at a higher rate uh, to, to make it all worthwhile. But uh, I think this staff, I mean, it, it can be easy to forget about all the great stuff that football is doing while basketball is in the middle of this stretch, uh, but K-State football is, is trying to build off that momentum and has done a lot of exciting things this off season. And it'll be fun to kind of see how things develop in the spring. Yeah. I think that it's definitely fair to expect kids to continue to enter the portal after the spring as the depth chart kind of continues to shape itself and kids kind of get a better understanding of where they're at and maybe what their role will be in the 2023 regular season. And honestly, basically one of the positions that I wouldn't be surprised to see more attrition at would be quarterback. Um, you know, K-State's in a tough spot with quarterback right now. Um, I think they have someone they feel really good about entering the 2023 season concerning the success Will Howard had um, for, for what was it, 15, 15 touchdowns in seven games or whatever it was, and four interceptions. So if you extrapolate that over the course of an entire season, you can kind of double that to roughly 30-ish touchdowns, um, eight interceptions. That's a really good um, average, and I would expect his completion percentage to kind of increase. Um, and honestly, if he does that, like, I think he might be looking at a potential NFL role, um, because of his size, his arm strength, he showed some good things with his accuracy and he has good stuff on his film too. And from the past of him being a good rusher. Um, so you kind of combine all those things. Maybe will Howard, someone who leads the quarterback room after the 2023 season, um, Jake Rubley, someone who's kind of in an interesting spot right now too. Um, that's someone who was clearly the third quarterback this season. 
Um, did get some snaps against South South Dakota. Did he get any snaps against Mizzou? Uh, Rubley. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I th- I think he did. I I think he I, did at the end. Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, ends up becoming the third option at quarterback by the end of the season. Once it becomes clear that Adrian's going to miss a large portion of a game that goes to Will Howard um, at TCU. So all those things kind of considered quarterback is just an interesting spot because it's not like outside linebacker or offensive line or defensive line or any other position on a football field. There's only one of them on the field at a time. Teams generally just want to play one of them um, during the season if possible. So they tend to enter the portal and transfer a lot more than other positions for those reasons, among other things. And I think that K-State's kind of in an interesting spot because they have someone that they obviously feel really highly about and really like with Avery Johnson. And if he comes in and shines and is successful in the spring, then maybe he moves ahead of someone like Adrian Lara on the depth chart. Maybe he finds himself mm-hmm. close to a similar spot with Jake Rubley. And if that leads to one of those guys leaving the program after the spring practices, I'm not going to be completely shocked. But at the same time, too, like I don't think KC feels any rush to get Avery Johnson on the field. Like I don't think that he's going – like I think he's a prime redshirt candidate um, entering the season yeah. if, oh, yeah. if possible because they want Will Howard to be their guy, and I fully expect Will Howard to be their guy. So quarterback's a position I wouldn't be surprised if there's more attrition at. Um, and other names that maybe are just at the bottom of the depth chart that we don't know too much about at this point just because spring football is a little bit away. Um, and guys will rise and fall throughout – the spring and throughout winter workouts on the depth charge based off of how they're performing in those areas. Yeah. I I think it's going to be at some point, this quarterback room is not going to stay intact the way it is. Um, Somebody, whether it is after this spring, I I would lean more towards after next season is probably when we see a guy move on. Cause um, you know, obviously the expectation isn't that, that Avery Johnson is a guy that will have been on campus for, um, like eight months by the time the season gets started that he would be the the next guy behind will howard if something were to happen so it would be rubley and laura and both of those guys would probably think to themselves hey i got a shot here um so i i i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if something happened but i I would anticipate when somebody decides to move on it's going to be after uh next season And, and like you've said multiple times and i think people can understand it like if Will Howard replicates what he did this season, there will be legitimate draft buzz for Will Howard after next year because of the size that he is and some of the things that he can do. Like Will Howard is is going to uh, go onto the radar of people rather quickly, which brings me to uh, the final topic that I'll bring up here uh, just because I, I want to uh, throw it out there. Um, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network uh, published – his first mock draft of the season today. Um, and he, he threw out there everything that he has happening uh, in the first round. And guess who he has going number 26th overall to the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, it would be Felix Anyadike Uzama. I read the mock that draft. would be Felix Anyadike Uzama. The man, the myth, the legend uh, would be a cowboy. How beautiful would that be? That'd be great. That would be great symmetry. I would love that. That would be, that would be great for the Cowboys. Would, it, would, would you enjoy that? I would definitely enjoy that. You, you're and not would, afraid that like Michael Parsons would take all of his take all of his sacks, pressures, hurries. I I, I don't I don't care. Let, let Michael Parsons get the stats. Just find ways to make money and play for the Cowboys. Like that's that's all you got to do. Um, and I would also love it if he went in the first round after that Buffalo Bills scout said that he needed to go back to school for another year. Like 
I, I get it. Maybe there are things you could work on, but like if you're if you're a first round NFL draft pick, why the hell are you going back to school? Uh, I'd be I'd be sticking. I'd be I don't know. I'd be I'd be going after that Bills that Bill Scout. Good for him though. I'm sure he's doing great. Just still one of the the funnier things that I've ever heard is that you know Felix who has been uh, you know on these mock drafts for over a year now as a potential first round guy. And one of the more productive defensive ends that can do a lot of different things, not just rushing the passer. And this guy from the Buffalo Bills is like, "Oh yeah, nah, he needs to go back to school." Mm. You're 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 out of touch. I know I'm not supposed to tell you how to do your job, but you're not doing it well. So there you go. Any thoughts yeah. on uh? Any thoughts on Felix to the Cowboys? I'm calling it now. Um, uh, no major thoughts. He had. That's the only time I've seen him mocked in the first round. I will say, which well is interesting to me. Um Daniel Jeremiah is the man. So I, I yeah, I didn't him see Dane Brugler uh, of um the athletic mock him in the first round earlier this weekend. I'm actually paying attention to mock drafts for the NFL this year because hello, it's the number one pick. Um yeah, something I'm true. proud of. We yeah, achieved our goal. Pick. Uh I uh, also seen... good news for you. Uh the the, the Lions at six taking a Witherspoon from Illinois. Yes, Spoon is very good. Um, but at the end of the day, too, it's not something that I'm paying too much attention um, to at this point just because the combine hasn't happened. And I feel like a lot of that stuff changes um, after the combine. Yeah. So I am interested to kind of see, I guess, where Felix kind of lines up after the combine. And like I said, I haven't seen him mocked right now in the first round by anybody but Daniel Jeremiah. Um, so I'm interested to see where he kind of ends up. Uh, that would also be two. That would be three spots before Bijan Robinson would be drafted. But Bijan being a running back and being projected in the first round right now, that's uh, that's high praise considering the way running backs get treated now. So we'll see. Uh, and, it, I mean, it would it would be awesome for, for Felix, a Kansas City guy, for when the draft is in Kansas City to be taken in the first round. Like, that'd be that'd be pretty special to, to see. So uh, that'll be fun to follow along with. And, and like you said, when the combine comes, it's not just going to be Felix that's there, but – uh, you'll have Julius Brents and Deuce Vaughn to, to keep tabs on and, and, and a handful of other guys because um, that kind of speaks to what K-State football was able to do this year and the past couple of years is get guys in that have potential that they saw that other places really didn't. I mean, Felix was was a, a two-star kid and Deuce uh, was a, a low three-star and was undersized, and they were able to, to help help those guys reach their potential. Like it's not just K-State creating the future for those guys. It's those guys doing it for themselves. Uh, but K-State certainly played a role in, in Chris Kleiman and his staff. So fun to watch, fun to see, and uh, fun to follow along with. So uh, any other thoughts before we close it, close it out and get out of here uh, a little bit quicker than what we normally do? Nope. Okay. Uh, I apologize for, for being mean to the 2008 Wisconsin Badgers and calling them a name earlier. Um, that's, that's on me. That's on me. I I I don't feel bad about it, but I feel bad uh, about how I phrased it because uh, I don't like them. They just Wisconsin. Why did Wisconsin always have to be there in the NCAA tournament to take down K State? They had to knock out Beasley and Walker, and then they had to end Jacob Poland's career. Just the the worst. They are the worst. I hate Wisconsin basketball. Welcome to the club, big guy. Hate them. Hate them, hate them, hate them. What I do love is K-State being in the top 15 and hopefully in the top 10 as long as they take care of business against Texas Tech on Saturday. We'll be back chatting with you on Monday, and then we'll have plenty of coverage Saturday and then the fallout on Sunday and leading up to the ball game with Iowa State 
on Tuesday in Ames. So for Alec, I'm Mason. Be sure to go over to EMA online. And if you're not subscribed, get signed up and get access to all the K-State content that you want and need to follow along with the Cats this season.